Hebrews 6, verse 1. We're turning back to the blueprint that he gave us for the church. Hebrews 6, verse 1 says this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary or the beginning teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, teleon in the Greek. Not laying again the foundation of, here's the elementary things, the elementary teachings. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. As a church, we're just going back and making sure that we've got a good foundation. That we're building on the blueprint that he gave us. And so if you missed these last couple weeks, you can jump in and you can catch those on YouTube or podcasts, wherever you like to listen to things. But we're just trying to lay the foundation that he lays out. And, and as I look at these things that Paul is listing off here, I believe there's many of them that the church, we've strayed away from the blueprint that he gave us. So we're just getting back to the blueprint. We're going back to elementary teachings, the basics. At the foundation, at the cornerstone, we have Christ. And then we want to build the church upon the blueprint he's given us. Not the blueprint of the world, not the blueprint of what's popular in church planting or anything relevant today. No, no, no. We just want to go back to his blueprint. Acts 2, verse 1. Here's the blueprint right here for the early church. The original church. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. That's why we meet. We gather up as believers. We gather up. We should be gathered up together. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. There was a noise that everyone could hear. People came running to see. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphilus, Egypt. Oh my gosh, I'm running out of breath. In the areas of Libya, around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What could this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk. That's all it is. Peter preaches. Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouts to the crowd. Once again, this is the guy who, when Jesus was on trial, this was the guy who hid and was afraid when a little girl was saying, oh, you were with Jesus, right? You were one of his you know, one of his buddies. You hung out with him. You were one of his disciples. And he's like, no, no, no. He was scared when a little girl approached him and accused him of hanging out with Jesus. And now here he is stepping forward and shouting to this crowd of thousands. 
Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, we're in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red for the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Once again, right here, we're seeing a blueprint for the church. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to say it again. Because we get really messed up sometimes on women in ministry and women in the church. But Peter's really clear here. When he quotes from the prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. So you start to understand in this church, when we say prophesy, when we talk about prophecy, it's not just, like, sometimes we think in the Bible, like, oh, a prophecy about the future. That's typically how we think. No, no, no. When we're talking about prophesying, we're also declaring God's truth. And guess what? He wants men and women to do that. This isn't something like, where it's like, oh, no, only the men can preach, only the men can teach, only the men can prophesy. No, no, no. He says men and women, as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is not a junior Holy Spirit that the women get and the men get, you know, senior Holy Spirit. That's not how it works. We all have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living within us, men and women. That's why when we brought a Lenny Baker onto our staff, we didn't say, hey, you're a worship coordinator or a worship teacher because we can't give the title of a pastor to you because you're a woman. No, no, no. You're a pastor. And so you declare God's truth through worship over his people. And you prophesy over his people because you've been anointed to do so. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit to do so. And nobody can deny the gift on your life to do that. And I love that gift. In my church, I'm thankful for that gift. For men and women and their gifts in the church. There's an anointing on his church, a filling of his Holy Spirit, and we walk in that. And so we raise up people in our church to walk in the gifts that they're called to and appointed to. That's the other thing, though. We're not just going to raise somebody up because they fit a category. Oh, you're a woman. This is good for diversity. No, no, no. We're going to raise them up because they've been called and appointed and anointed. That's it. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We obey his voice. We don't do things just because they're popular or they're trendy. No, we do things because they're in God's word. And if he is whispering something, if he's speaking something to us, and if there's unity in the Holy Spirit as we move forward in decision, we move on it. We don't listen to outside voices. We don't listen to what the world's doing. That's not where we get our blueprint from. This is the blueprint. This is what we stick to. Verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. That was a public endorsement. 
But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Sometimes we've been in the church so long that we hear this passage and we think, oh yeah, that was to those guys. No, 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 that, that, that's to us. That's to us today. Our sin, our disobedience, our, cho our choices to rebel and turn from him, we nailed him to a cross and killed him. Understand that. Each and every one of us in here, it was our sin that he got up there for. Not their sin over there. Not those guys sin over there. Well, that sin's way worse. No, no, no. It was our sin. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. What's the enemy want to do? He wants to shake you. He wants to get you out of your place, out of your alignment, out of the assignment that God has given you. When you feel the shaking come, remember that the Lord is always with you. He is right beside you. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. We're filled with the joy of his presence. If you don't feel that joy today, if you're struggling with that, if you feel like that life has got you down, I'm, I'm telling you, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you need ministry at the end of service, if you need prayer, if you want to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh again, so you can start to see the fruit of the Spirit grow and bloom and blossom in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you want all those things, like why wouldn't you want those things? He wants you to have them. You can have them. That's living and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Just as you see and hear today, for David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my, my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Don't forget, we crucified him. We all did. He made him to be both Lord 
and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. There's two words here I want us to look at. First one is verse 37, pierced to the heart. In the Greek, it just means to prick violently. To pierce all the way down, deeply, thoroughly pain, emotionally pierced through, psychologically pricked. You ever felt that? As you're reading through scripture, as you hear a sermon, have you ever felt that prick all the way down and you knew, I need to do something with this? But what the enemy has done, what's the enemy do? He tries to counterfeit or distort everything that God wants to do. That's what he loves to do. And so what he's done with conviction, that's what that prick is, that piercing. What he's done with conviction is he's taken it and said, oh, no, 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 you're not convicted. You're offended. And what do we do with offense now? Oh, we cancel those who offend us. Right? Oh, that's offensive. No, nope, not going to listen to that. I want nothing to do with that. Nope. I, I, that church, if they're, if they're saying that, no, nope, that's too offensive. No, no, no. That's just conviction. But we've changed it and we've rebranded it and said, no, 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 that's offensive. And as a church, we don't want to be offensive. And so we've removed anything and everything that might offend, and because of that, now we've removed conviction from the church. And when you remove conviction from the church, you lose repentance. There's no repentance without conviction. If you haven't been convicted, why would you change? Because that's what repentance is. We've turned repentance and conviction into efforts, right? Into four-letter words. We don't want to deal with either of those things. So let's remove them completely. Repentance has become a harsh word in our culture, but actually what they were saying there, it doesn't come across all that harsh when you actually know what it meant in the Greek. All it meant was to change one's mind or purpose. That's it. But now when you hear somebody say repent, I, I would say street preachers have probably given the word repentance a bad name. But when you hear somebody say repent, kind of get like a little, yikes, let's not talk about that. Uh, no, that's not secret friendly. That's not fun. But all it is is changing your mind. And what does God want to do? He, he wants our minds to be changed. He wants them to be transformed by his word. That's what his word does. That's why we open up his word. That's why we preach straight from the word because his word changes and transforms our minds. That is what repentance is. It's a changing of the mind, a change of the inner man. It's the renewing of our souls. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit joins with our spirit. We're three parts, right? 
flesh, soul, spirit. The Holy Spirit joins with our spirit. And so now in our soul, our mind, we are fighting against like our old self, our old nature. We're fighting against this new self and learning how to submit and listen to the new self. And we battle back and forth. I didn't have this one in here. Romans 7. Go to Romans 7 really quick. Sorry, Scott. Romans 7 says this. This is Paul talking about this battle going on. Soul and spirit. What's happening within us. Romans 7 verse 14. We stay away from the, the law. We stay away from God's word. We just want these kind of nice like pet talks in a lot of churches today. Because that's more fun and more positive and encouraging. Uh, but here, here's what Paul is saying. Chapter 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. Some of you have been believers for a long time. You want to do what is right. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. You've heard it all. You've been convicted. You've been pierced. You've been pricked by the Holy Spirit. And you know right from wrong. And you want to do it, but I don't do that. Instead, I do what I hate. You ever been there? We've all been there, right? We know what we shouldn't do, but we keep doing it. Like a dog returning to the vomit. We just keep going back again and again. And we know it's wrong. And we know how we're going to feel after. We know we're going to feel like trash. We know we're going to feel terrible. But we just keep going back and doing what we don't want to do. Verse 17. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. That word living, it's okeo in the Greek. It's dwelling. It's a dwelling place. It's the same word that Jesus used in uh, Matthew when he's talking about sending out a spirit being cast out, an evil spirit being cast out of somebody, and they go into the desert place, and then when they return and they find the house, the okeo, the dwelling place, a human, that's what humans are for spirits, whether it's the Holy Spirit or another spirit, an unclean spirit, when that spirit comes back and finds that the house is not filled, you can get saved and delivered. You can be a Christian, but if you don't get filled with the Holy Spirit and you don't begin to walk and stir up His presence in your life, learn to walk with Him, to listen to Him, to have a relationship with Him, eventually you'll begin to let your house just sit empty. And if your house is empty, what do those unclean spirits do? They bring back seven more to dwell there. It is sin living in me that does it. If you give the enemy a foothold, if you give him a place to dwell within you, they'll begin to take more and more control. And it'll feel like this. It'll feel like you know what you want to do. You know what the Spirit is convicting you. But your soul has not been transformed. It has not been renewed by the Word of God. Verse 18, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, and I'm not really the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. 
I lived this way for a long time as a believer. I, I'd made a confession of faith. I'd repented. I'd been baptized. And then I just kind of let my house go empty. I let the flame burn out. The Holy Spirit. You can fan the flame or you can quench the flame. The more you walk in disobedience, the more you walk in the world and not his word, the more the flame is quenched within you. And so I did that. And I kept the name Christian. Was I walking in the spirit? Did I have the fruit of the spirit? No. <clears throat> there were moments, there were times where I would tell you, oh yeah, like I, I was on a mountaintop and I thought that was the Christian life. Like you just, you know, there's these mountaintops highs, but most of the Christian life is just walking through the valley, empty, dried out, just kind of pretending, just kind of faking your way through it. That's not the life he calls to. That's not life to the full. That's not the life he wants or desires for his people. That's a lie from the enemy. That was the only thing my church knew. My church growing up, that was all they really knew. They knew, hey, we can send high school kids to this conference called CIY, Christ in Youth. And that was the first time I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, where I got pricked. I got cut to the, I mean, I got cut all the way through to the heart. I repented, I confessed, I came back to him. And nobody taught me after that when I, when I got back how to walk in fullness and keep the flame burning, how to fuel the flame within me. That's what I want for this church. That's what I'm prophesying over this church, that this is going to be a church that walks in the fullness all of their days. And that even in the valley, when it feels dark and we feel afflicted and we feel oppressed, we're not scared and we walk forward in faith because we know the flame is burning within us. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't seem like it's that hard to get to the next mountaintop. In fact, it starts to seem like we're living glory to glory, mountaintop to mountaintop, and it's way more fun than struggling in the valley 50, 60, 70 years until we die and get to go to heaven. It's way more fun to go from glory to glory while we're here on this earth. And we get to see victory after victory in the name of Jesus. That's what he wants to do with this church. That's what he wants to empower us into. But it takes faith. It takes repentance. The changing and transforming of our minds. Are we willing to lay down our pride and say, maybe I... Maybe I have this wrong. And to change our mind about how we think. And to go back to his word instead of what the world says. There's a lot of things that are going to feel good in this world that we're going to hear. We're going to say, that feels right. That sounds pretty good. But we need to go back to the word. Feelings are deceiving. Feelings can shift. Feelings can come. Feelings can go. That's what I say every time I do a wedding. Right now, you have all these feelings and it feels great, you, you know, you feel this love for each other, that's great. But when those hard moments come, don't confuse love with a feeling. Love is not a feeling, love is a choice. Jesus didn't feel great about going to the cross. In fact, in the garden, when he was crying out to the Father, he said, Lord, if there's another way, please give me another way. He didn't feel like it, but he chose to do it, that's love. That's why so many marriages, that's why 50% of marriages today will fail. Because they thought love was a feeling. But guess what? Choices lead and feelings will follow. So on those days when the feelings aren't there, you're like, I don't know if I like this person. I don't even think I married the right person. I think they've changed or I've changed. I've evolved. I'm different now. That's a lie from the devil, just so you know. 
Guess what? When you choose to still love your wife and to serve her sacrificially, and when you choose to still love your husband and to submit to his leadership, and you choose, even on the days that you don't feel like it, guess what? The feelings are going to follow again. We walk by faith, not by sight. There's a lot of things that we see and we feel, and they are lies and deception from the enemy. We choose to walk in the truth of his word and not the lies of the world. That's what we do, and we chase after that with all that we are. Verse 21 of chapter 7. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. He does. He loves God's law with all his heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. That's where the soul is, the mind, right? The soul is the mind. There's another power warring against the mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is deliverance that he's talking about. Some of you guys are familiar. We have a deliverance ministry. It what that does is we go through and we help people to walk in the spiritual authority that God has given them, has granted them over this other power that Paul is talking about here. We think, oh, we can't pass these powers. We can't ever resist. We'll never really figure this out. No, no, no. There's deliverance. There's freedom. And he wants to walk you through it. That's what Jesus does. And so for some of you, if you feel like Paul in your season of life, where you keep, you know what's right, but you keep going back to what's wrong. You keep going back to the vomit over and over again. I'll tell you, repent, be renewed, be, have your mind changed and transformed. One of those first steps of obedience, get delivered. Go through deliverance, because I'm telling you, there is freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. And he gives you authority over these powers that are speaking lies to you. Don't give the enemy a foothold anymore. Don't let him build up a stronghold in your life. Worship team, I want to invite you guys back up as we get ready to close here. We'll stick in Romans. Romans 3, verse 21. But now God is showing us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, every one of us in here. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. 
People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. We'll drop down to verse 28 there. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. We don't have to do this. We don't have to earn anything. We're already made right. But then what we miss out on in this hyper-grace culture is the blessing of walking in obedience to his law. And understanding that there's freedom in walking in the truth of his word and having our minds renewed. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you begin to desire to walk in obedience to his word. And good deeds just naturally follow because you desire to walk in what he's commanded you to do because you know he's a good father. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, but you believe there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. There's many in our culture who will say this. They say they believe. But is there fruit? Is there, is there the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Do you see it on their life? Do you see those things that he lists off in Galatians? If not, then I'm telling you right now, there might be somebody that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind. It might be you. You might be saying right now in this moment, oh, I don't have the fruit. I don't really have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. I don't have any of those things, but I want them. Today, during this last song, during communion, come receive prayer. Come ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit into your house, into your dwelling place. And begin to learn to listen and walk in obedience to his voice again. And you'll start to see, he brings the growth. That's what he does. He, he will bring the growth. Fruit will begin to come. It will blossom. Good deeds will begin to follow, and it won't be a burden. It'll be something you desire in your life. This is the blueprint for his people. Because can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Verse 21, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? By his actions. When he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Offering. Offering is a form of faith and deeds working together. When we give, 
What are we doing? It's our faith in action. That's why we give here at Revival. That's why we tithe. Because we want our faith and good deeds to match up. We don't want to just say it. We want to believe it and we want to walk in obedience to it. It's a form of worship. Sometimes you complain about giving 10%. Abraham, he laid his son on the altar, his only son, his promised son from the father. And he said, if you ask me to give it up, I'll give it up. Verse 22, you see his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And guess what? When you trust God, when you hand everything over to him, he gives back and he gives more. Because Abraham, he knew the promise. God, God told him, you'll have many descendants, more than the stars in the sky. But here he is being asked to lay his only descendant, his only son on the altar. Would you still give up your only son if I ask you to? What does God do? He gives him right back and above and beyond. Faith and deeds work together. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and she sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. We're going to be a church that walks in faith, that walks and practices repentance, having our minds changed and renewed. Romans 10, verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. 1 John 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we keep walking in the darkness, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Repentance is at the foundation of the blueprint. It's at the very beginning. Because without repentance, we say, we don't have sin. We don't need to change. Everything we're doing is right. And when we do that, we make him out to be a liar. The word is not in us. So today, during this time of communion, as Jason gets up to share communion meditation, open up your hearts to that brick. Open up your hearts to that knife that wants to cut you and pierce through and remind you, hey, just turn back to me. 
Stop holding this area of life back from me. Because I want to change you, transform you, and I want to free you to walk in the fullness of everything I've called you.